welcome back to the Baropolis podcast. As usual, I'm joined with Nathan. And this week, well, I mean, Nathan, last week we ended the podcast talking about how spirits were going to be high after a successful end of the transfer window and hopefully two wins. Um, we did get one win. Unfortunately, though, for us, that win wasn't in the championship fixture. Um, plenty to talk about in today's episode. But before we delve into the misery of what has been Borough's opening few games of the season, um, how are you at the moment? Yeah, I'm not too bad. Um, soaking up the sun uh, on Teesside in September. It feels like the first bit of summer that we've had, which is strange because it's now the end of summer. But yeah, I'm I'm not so bad, Chris. What about yourself? Yeah, like you, enjoying the sunshine. It always puts you in a little bit of a better mood, doesn't it? When uh, when the sun's out, especially when you can't really smile about Middlesbrough Football Club at the moment. So, yeah, it's a silver lining. Like I said last week, you've always got to look for the silver lining. You also had your graduation. Um, how was that? Yeah, it was good. Yeah, had that yesterday. A uh, bit pict- picturesque. Uh, being in, in Lincoln Cathedral, so that yeah was lovely. Um, bit too warm wearing that cap and gown in the sun, but yeah, they were they were soon shipped off for a a bottle of Peroni in hand instead. So yeah, it was was a decent day yesterday, but yeah, looking forward to uh getting on with the next chapter now. Yeah, well, I mean, last I was about to say last year. I think it was last year. I've lost track of time to be honest, Nate. Um, on my graduation day, I can completely sympathise because I believe it was the hottest day. Do you remember about, was it a year or two ago where, quite frankly, the weather for one or two days was ridiculously hot um, and my graduation happened at fall on that day. So obviously it was great having to wear a massive um, black gown as well as a hat and a black suit. Uh, yeah, I just basically sweated for the full day and didn't really enjoy it at all but um yeah I'm glad you had a nice day at least and uh I'm glad that I am not currently sat in a suit because this podcast would be incredibly uncomfortable if that was the case um but less of that Nathan no one wants to hear about us rambling on about suits and things like that and graduations although I'm sure everyone is very uh proud of you who listens to this podcast and knows what you've been through in terms of your university degree. Um, but yes, this is a Middlesbrough podcast. And unfortunately, Nathan, that means we have to talk about Middlesbrough. So from the last time we recorded our podcast, we hadn't yet played Bolton in the cup uh, in the second round. We had the rest of the transfer window to go. And of course, we had the QBR game to go as well. So I think it only makes sense really to go chronologically and go back a little bit in time to, of course, that Bolton um, Cup game. Obviously, on the night, Borough did progress. I think those who have listened and watched this podcast um, throughout this season and in previous seasons know that we are very much fair-weather Cup fans in terms of, regardless of the result, unless we're beating the big teams, we don't get too carried away about it. But nonetheless, Nathan, I suppose there was a positive in the fact that we did end up progressing. Yeah, it is. Uh, and I think one of the key takeaways from the game for me at the time was that wins just breed confidence. And the hope was that getting two last-minute goals in the game that take you through to the next round of the Cup hopefully breed you a little bit of confidence, get you going, uh, in a little bit of a nicer rhythm than we have been in the last few weeks and hopefully we'd be able to kick on in, in the league. Um, but, yeah, um, there were some positive signs in the cup tie. Um, of course, it was a bit of a difficult uh, one to gauge because nobody could watch the game unless they were there. Um, so it was very much an extended highlights job. But yeah. Yeah, um, of course, I'm not going to dwell too much on Bolton's goal, but yeah, get done down that left-hand side. Tom Glover possibly should do better with that 
that parrying out straight to Dion Charles. Um, but Borough grew back into the game. McNair played a, a good ball into Crooks. Good finish from Matt Crooks. Takes it, takes it well. Uh, lobs the goalkeeper, gets us back into the game. And then from what I can gather in the second half, it was pretty much just all Borough. It was a, an onslaught um, and a bit more of what we saw last season where we would dominate the ball, but we actually had some penetration going forward, created a good few chances. Um, McNair hit the outside of the post. He hit the bar as well late on in the game. And then, of course, the changes from Michael Carrick won middles for the game, really. Uh, and there was some really good play, especially for for the goal that gets us in, th- in front through McGree. Um, Barlasser, Hackney, Rogers, and McGree all involved in that goal. And it's a fantastic strike. Um, and yeah, a little bit of, of relief as well, because as as you say, we're, we're quite fair weather cup fans in the early rounds, Chris. I, I wouldn't necessarily mind us getting knocked out if it was if it was up to me really I, I don't really care about the early rounds of the cup but as I mentioned it's always nice to see a team win and it had been quite a few weeks since that had last happened so to see us go 2-1 up in the last minute I thought yeah brought a little smile to my face and then uh, of course the, the third goal that's just the uh the cherry on top of the icing was uh, was through Rogers, uh, who did really well for the goal. Actually, uh, chased down Bolton's full back, didn't let him clear that ball. McGree did really well to hold it up uh, and delay, and then Rogers got in a position. Was found by McGree with a with a really good good ball. His touch was good to uh, take him away from the Bolton defender, and then the finish was just. Uh, Nice little side foot finish, cool, calm, and composed. A borough in the next round will play Bradford, which is a bit of a kick in the teeth considering we played them in pre season and I've just been. But yeah, there you go. Yeah, it was um it was obviously good to progress, I guess. Like you say, the sort of idea that wins breed confidence um was something I did think about as well. Um and to be honest, I think one of the main narratives, or at least one of the two main narratives, apart from actually winning a game, was the impact that Riley McGree had and also the fact that Morgan Rogers managed to get his first goal in a Middlesbrough shirt, which I think both of those people were delighted with. Obviously, we spoke about it uh, earlier on this season in the podcast. In of recent weeks, Riley McGree seems to be a topic that just won't go away in terms of his inclusion, um, at least in the in the league fixtures. And, yeah, coming off the bench, having his say in Borough's progression, obviously gets the assist for the Rodgers goal. And his goal himself was, was really good as well. And I guess, obviously, we'll get onto it a little bit later, but I think most probably come away from that game thinking, well, Bradley McGree is going to be the first name on the t- on the team sheet, or at least one of them when it gets to Saturday because of the impact he had. Uh, but yeah, as I say, we'll, we'll sort of discuss that situation a little bit later when we get on to QPR. But also, obviously, Rogers sort of getting that weight off his shoulders and getting his first goal. I think everyone was hoping that that would sort of relieve, uh, relieve some of the pressure that he's, I think, quite clearly been feeling in terms of the early season problems, playing in that number nine role and then finally dropping a little bit deeper, but just not quite things coming off for him and shots being saved or blocked or things like that. And yeah, those were the two main positives. But like we say, really, it was more a case of, I think most Middlesbrough fans' attentions were firmly fixed on the end of the transfer window and obviously the QBR game. So moving on to the transfer front, Nathan, obviously the window is now closed and quite funnily enough, I mean, really when we recorded our last podcast, the three players that we ended up signing um, in the transfer window were three names that hadn't really been mentioned at the time of uh, the last podcast. So it almost comes somewhat of a shock when those three deals were, um, signed off and obviously announced and 
again, like the podcast, we'll, we'll start off sort of in chronological order, I guess. And the first through the door uh, was Lewis O'Brien. Yeah, he was. Uh, and for this particular transfer, it's the one that stood out to me the most, probably so far this entire window and, and looking back on the window as a whole to get a player like Lewis O'Brien in the door um, to play in midfield for Middlesbrough is a massive coup. He was arguably the best midfielder in the league two seasons ago for Huddersfield as they sort of defied all odds and finished third in the championship season under Carlos Corberan. And for Middlesbrough to have signed a player that has that type of pedigree is a testament to the recruitment team, really, because he's, I think he's going to be a real difference maker to the midfield. Um, there's been a lot of sort of talk around possibly needing a little bit more midfield bite in there. Uh, particularly after the opening few games. And I think O'Brien will offer you that. Um, and I think had he not been sort of so unfortunate in in his move to Nottingham Forest and the way things have panned out for him, I think that he probably would be playing in the Premier League at this, at this moment in time. Um, but yeah, uh, to get that one through the door first out of the, uh, out of the final three, that was sort of a real eye-opener. And I think that's one where a lot of championship fans will be looking at that transfer and thinking, well, that's a little bit of a statement of intent from Middlesbrough. That's a bit more of what we would have expected at the start of the window from them in terms of the pedigree of players that they would, they would be bringing in through the door this summer. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. And I think we spoke about it in the last podcast where it was more in regards to a sort of striker or forward player that we spoke about a certain sort of pedigree of player that Middlesbrough needed still. And although I think Lewis O'Brien's profile is obviously different to any sort of forward player, number 10 or number nine, um, he certainly is of that pedigree that I was talking about in terms of he comes in straight away and, as you say, championship fans think, well, yeah, God, I definitely would have had him. You only have to look at the teams that he's been linked with all summer, um, Leeds, Coventry. Um, I mean, pretty much all the teams in the Championship have been mentioned. I think even Sheffield United were quite keen to get him on loan and pretty much the only reason they couldn't get him on loan is because Nottingham Forest didn't want to strengthen a, a direct rival. So, yeah, we've done incredibly well to get that one over the line. A lot of people were a little bit sort of not alarmed, but a, a little bit unsure about his position and, and sort of when a lot of people were talking about needing a midfielder, I think a lot of people wanted a, a real brute force, a, a real destroyer in midfield. And although when Middlesbrough are conceding goals like they are at the moment, immediately, I guess, some people think, well, that's what you need. You need someone solid in there that's not going to cross the halfway line and is just going to try and sniff out the danger. Well, I don't think Michael Carrick is really the type of manager that has someone like that in his sort of ideal team. Um, just in terms of the way he wants his teams to play, the way that he wants every player on the pitch to be comfortable on the ball. And, yeah, listen, it's... Uh, I think you could call it a statement signing. I thought it was really interesting that um, Chris Jones, who's part of the recruitment team, um, basically um, in response to him, uh, O'Brien being announced, tweeted something along the lines of patience pays off or something like that, um, which was really interesting. And O'Brien mentioned in his club interview or his press conference, I, I can't remember which one it was now, actually, that pretty much discussions had, had taken place, I think, eight or nine weeks ago or something like that, when he first spoke to Carrick. So clearly it's been one where Middlesbrough have waited and waited and waited and waited and have desperately wanted him. And, and thankfully, Nottingham Forest have done their business to a point where they felt that he could come and join Middlesbrough and obviously, hopefully, get his career uh, back on track and you know, to the point where 
he is again considered one of the top midfielders in the division. So, yeah, nice to get that one across the line. I think it's a signing, as I say, that championship fans will look at and think that's a real good signing. But also, to me, it sort of perhaps points towards potentially a, a tweak of formation or possibly even tactics. Um, you know, we spoke last week about Houghton and Hackney how really that midfield pairing hadn't come into question at all last season when we were so successful. So perhaps, you know, it, it wasn't a necessity that we needed someone to come in and replace that or, you know, just offer them competition. But actually, I think, look, it'll be interesting to see. And I know up until this point, Michael Carrick's been fairly sort of stubborn in terms of not really changing too much about the way his teams play. But it certainly would, for me, look like an option to potentially bulk out the midfield and perhaps look at more of a 4-3-3, perhaps. Yeah, possibly. Um, I think that it's, it's always good to have different options. And, and of course, with O'Brien as well, um, he adds something different in the, sh- in the shape of a, a left-footed central midfielder, something that we don't have. So, yeah, a, a different option. And, of course, with the sort of level that we know that he can play at, he would hopefully elevate the games of, of House and Hackney, even Barlasser in there to to be performing at a top level and fighting for that position in midfield. So, yeah, a, a really good signing in Lewis O'Brien. Yeah, and then, of course, not long after that, um, we had the signing of Sam Greenwood, who, again, somewhat come out of nowhere, really. And I think... To be honest, it it took a few by surprise in terms of his age and the sort of loan signing of a Leeds player who are in our division. And perhaps I think fans, including myself, I must say, thought that, you know, that number 10 signing that we still did need would be perhaps not necessarily... A, an older age, but someone a little bit more proven. Obviously, Sam Greenwood has, has come from a, a former, a, a, well, a recently relegated team. He, he's played games in the Premier League, played under Marcelo uh, Bielsa and, yeah, had some experience, but not a whole lot of experience. And I think that was the shock factor in this one in that I don't think anyone's questioning sort of his ability and what is shown in reserve games and 23s games. But in terms of that senior experience, he, he doesn't sort of offer an awful lot of that. No, he doesn't. And of course, most of his senior playing career, he's been playing for a side in the Premier League that notoriously struggled, um, didn't score too many goals when he was involved. Of course, Bielsa's first season they did but he wasn't really involved uh, in that season. Um, And now Leeds find themselves in the Championship. Of course, we know the options that they've got across the front line. But, yeah, it it seems a bit of of a strange one that we're taking on another side in our divisions, youngsters on loan deals, to possibly develop them and then they'll, they'll go back and probably star for, for, for Leeds United, whether that be in the Championship next season or, or whether that be in the Premier League if, if Leeds get themselves promoted. But yeah, uh, in, ter- in terms of Greenwood as a player though, um, from what we've seen in, in his short cameo against QPR, he seems very uh, both-footed, um, comfortable on both feet sort of nimble-footed in and around the box, doesn't mind to get his shots away. Um, I think as, as a youngster, he played as a number nine um, and, and scored a fair, a fair few amount of goals for um, Arsenal uh, youth set-up sides. And then, of course, moving to Leeds, scored a good few in for, for, for Leeds United in the Premier League too. Um, but yeah... Um, in terms of our number ten options now, having having Greenwood and and Rogers, your 
you're pinning your hopes there on on two young, two very young players actually, um, that played with each other at, at various youth levels for England growing up, um, and hopefully those two have that that little bit of a, a competitive relationship, try and get the best out of each other, vie for that number ten position, and hopefully start hitting the ground running soon enough. Yeah, it was it was an interesting one, don't get me wrong, but I think um there was a few quotes from Michael Carrick, not that he sort of ruled out any loan signings, but he did speak of how last season it obviously affected us so hugely, something that everyone was aware of, um, losing all of the loan players and basically developing them for someone else and not really reaping any rewards from that. And it is an interesting one in that aspect, but I think, look, I, I would look at Greenwood as, as someone probably that was at a similar stage of his career as what Aaron Ramsey was when we brought him in. Um, still somewhat untested. Obviously, I, I know Ramsey had had a, a little spell at Norwich before he, he, he came to us and a, a loan spell even before that lower down the EFL. Um but yeah, Greenwood's had some experience. I think even under Bielsa, he played a little bit deeper. But in, in his press conference alongside Lewis O'Brien, he was sort of quite keen to make out that he was a forward, um, someone that likes to, as you say, get in and around the box and, and get shots off and work hard for the team and be clinical, really. And I guess that's what we were asking for in the previous podcast, but perhaps at least I felt, I don't know about you, Nathan, I felt that we maybe needed someone with a little bit more experience. Now, that's not to say that Sam Greenwood can't be a success, but just in terms of his age profile more than anything, it, it did shock me a little bit. Um, but yeah, we've seen, there's countless clips on, on YouTube from obviously, as you say, him playing in the Premier League too and wrapping in free kicks. We saw even when he came on against QPR that he was, I think he took every dead ball situation. Um, so obviously he regards himself as somewhat of a, a set-piece specialist, which I don't think would go amiss in our current lineup. And yeah, um, someone that hopefully can offer Morgan Rogers some, some real competition because, yeah, again, something that we'll get onto a little bit later. He, he seems to be still just not quite sort of showing the signs that I think some Middlesbrough fans hope that he may have just yet um, in, in terms of his output of goals and assists. But obviously it's still early days in that regard. Um, and then Nathan, the final one was a left back. And I think that was probably the biggest surprise of the final few days because everyone was adamant that it would be a striker. We spoke about needing that pedigree, um, that real sort of killer instinct and that goal threat to give Emmanuel Latte-Laff some real competition. And we we didn't get that. We saw Josh Coburn remain at the club, despite it being very public that a deal had been agreed for him to go to Plymouth so long as we brought in a replacement Obviously, the club weren't able to do that, and that was ultimately why Coburn is still now at the club. I mean, we'll get on to Alex Bangura and, and what he might offer this team, but in terms of that striker situation, it was ultimately disappointing. Yeah, it was. And I think uh, yourself and I were, were, were speaking late last week, Chris, and were sort of rating the transfer window based on what we had and based on what it would have been had we signed a centre-forward and it, it looked to be that the target was Tom Cannon uh, of Everton. Um, of course, he was on loan at Preston last year, scored 8-20, in 20, uh, only 20 years old. Um, of course, we've had success bringing in players that have had spells at Preston prior um, and yeah I would have been really impressed if we could have pulled that deal over the line of course Everton were asking for quite a hefty fee uh, of around seven or eight million pounds I think we offered four plus add-ons and of course 
the move didn't come to fruition. Borough's bid got blown out of the water by the recently relegated and uh, money bags Leicester City, who've spent ridiculous amount of money uh, so in the transfer window. But yeah, fair play to them. Um, I think we'd, we'd do the same if we were in their position. But yeah, didn't get a centre forward over the line. And it'll be Latte Lath and, and Coburn competing for the number nine position for from now until January, which is a slight worry if one of them gets injured. Um but yeah, um with with our little conversation, um I think I think we'll have a a full rating of the transfer window after we we just dissect the signing of Alex Bangura, a player who was mentioned earlier on in the transfer window, who, when we signed Lucas Engel, I think that a lot of Middlesbrough fans thought that that would be us done in terms of signing left-backs. You'd keep Hayden Colson as your, as your backup left-back. But that wasn't to be the case. Um, on Thursday afternoon, it was said that a deal had been agreed with Camber in Holland, for a deal of around a million pounds to sign Bangura. He was on his way over to Teesside and it was confirmed on Friday that he'd signed. And I was really impressed with his interview that he gave with the club, actually. Uh, it seems like he's incredibly happy to be here. Uh, looks like he's really excited to try and make an impression. Um, and... I'm looking forward to see what he offers on the pitch um, because I think Lucas Engel's got off to a slow start in a Middlesbrough shirt. Uh, I think everyone's seen that so far. He's not quite what we were expecting when he came through the door from the clips that we'd seen of him. Um, But yeah, Bangura is in the door. Another left back. So it'll be healthy competition uh, for the left back position and yeah overall 12 signings in the door two on loan 10 permanent signings very much uh, a summer rebuild I think in terms of trying to secure the long term future of the playing staff Um, and overall I'm relative, relatively happy with with what we've got in, but I could have done with uh, another centre forward, a real star name. If if Tom Cannon was in the door, it'd be uh, eight and a half, nine out of ten. But for now, it's 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 very much a seven. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting that you say that, and I, I do, I do agree. Um, I think obviously. Look, it's it's really really difficult to say a rating in terms of judging the players because I mean there's still some of our summer signers that that haven't even played yet. They haven't even played a minute at the club. So, I mean the likes of Gilbert, um, we can't even judge, can we, as a signing? Um, but yeah, I think that was one position that for me. I re-emphasised it on the previous two podcasts. I felt that we were crying out for that real pedigree, um, the real killer in front of goal. And I, I think we're still without that. Um, look, I, I, I think in terms of Tom Cannon, obviously there was conflict in reports, but if you are to believe Alan Nixon, which by all accounts, he was the one that called the Lewis O'Brien deal. So I guess you've got to put some sort of... Um, reliability to his sort of claims towards the back end of the window and he did seem to be awfully in the mix with that Tom Cannon deal uh, I, I think probably if I'm honest I think we probably did make a bid and were blown out of the water and one thing that the club seemingly have decided on now in terms of recruitment is that if they can't get the player that they want or they believe that a transfer fee is too much at what they deem a player's value is, they won't be bullied. They won't be pushed into a situation where they overpay and then 
basically get themselves burned later down the line. And I'm quite happy with that, to be honest. I think previously we've spoke about, you know, the likes of Tony Pulis and Gary Monk, where we were just overpaying for players. And yes, we did have more money to do that. Of course, now we've got to cut our cloth more accordingly. But in terms of not being bullied and in terms of really trying to, as you say, keep a core of the playing staff on permanent contracts is something that I'm also really happy with. It means that at the end of this season, even if we don't um, end up being promoted, there doesn't have to be a huge turnover of players. And look, I think our current league position, people might be saying, well, there might have to be a, a turnover of players if we if we were to go down. I think obviously people are a little bit worried about that at the moment. But I mean, honestly, I, I don't look. I, I really sincerely hope this doesn't come back and bite me on the arse later down the line. But I, I don't think that's going to happen. I've got to be truthfully honest. And I think it's a transfer window that perhaps might have to be judged maybe a year down the line. And I know that's a bit of a cop-out answer, but we've brought in so many untested players in a recruitment model that is closer to that Brighton-Brentford model. And, yeah, in terms of just bringing in positions that we needed, I, I think we've done everything bar that extra striker. And I think... Look, I'm I'm confident enough in Michael Carrick that he, he will eventually get this to work. I think the Lewis O'Brien uh, signing gave me that little bit of assurance that the club don't view this season as a write-off already. They don't think, well, you can't go and succeed with that squad because also I, I don't think Lewis Bryan would be coming to a club that he thought couldn't, you know, challenge the playoffs. Um so, yeah, I think overall I'd, I'd be sort of, I think you graded it a, a six and a half or a seven. I think I'd probably be somewhere close to that. Um, and as you say, had we have brought in that sort of more established pedigree of forward where I could really look at and think, well, that's where the goals or the bulk of the goals is going to come from. I would have felt a lot more confident in terms of where we could uh, aim for this season. But as a whole, look, it's a it's a real change from what we've been used to, and hopefully we'll reap the rewards of that later down the line. But at the moment, I can understand also the frustration because some of these players are untested, and at the moment they are struggling to adapt. So there is that in it. I can see both sides. Yeah, they are uh, struggling to adapt at the minute, and I think that takes us very well into Saturday's disaster which was of course after a, a busy week uh, of course the cup game to Bolton the cup tie the transfer window coming to a close and the week rounded off with the final league game before the first international break of the season which was at home to Gareth Ainsworth's QPR who Started the season incredibly poorly, have sort of grown into it a little bit, but you're looking at this one and you're thinking you've got to attack this game. You've got to get at these and try and try and get something, a positive result out of the game, positive performance. And I think it's fair to say that we didn't get any of the things that I've just mentioned. Um, of course. Full time Middlesbrough nil QPR what uh two, I was gonna say one there QPR two dearie me, um, and yeah another poor showing from Borough. Um, there was one shock, really, go going into the game, and that was as mentioned earlier, Chris, the absence of Riley McGree from the starting eleven once again. Um, a lot of Middlesbrough fans were very unhappy seeing the Aussie left out and left on the bench once again. Um, starting in his absence were Sammy Silvera once again, uh, playing off the right hand side. 
and Isaiah Jones playing off the left-hand side. Jones, from what I can gather, came on last week against West Brom, made an impression, um, was getting out players, of course, hit the post in that West Brom game, showed some signs against Bolton in the week as well. Silvera, of course, got his assist last week. And, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out why Riley McGree's not in the team. Um, but, of course, I don't know the answer. You don't know the answer. Only Michael Carrick and his backroom staff do. He was left out once again, left on the bench. Uh, and, of course... We saw Sam Greenwood and, and Lewis O'Brien on the bench as well, which I suppose was positive to have them in the fold early on in their Middlesbrough careers. Hopefully see them come off the bench, um, which we did. But on the face of the game, you go in early, you sort of you know what to expect from games now. You know how teams are going to set up against Middlesbrough when they come to the Riverside. They're going to sit in a low block. They're going to just let you have the ball. Borough struggled to penetrate through the midfield most of the first half. Um, it's usually most of the possessions kept between Daryl Lenahan and Dale Fry, Senny Dieng, knock it into a fullback, knock it back to the centre half and repeat. Um, and in fairness, I thought QPR were actually okay in the early stages. Uh, Chair looked dangerous, of course, on his day. He's one of the best players in the division. Uh, and in the first half, especially, uh, there was three middles for players pretty much down that right side where he was every time. But Borough arguably the best chance of, of the first half um, early on. Jones gets slipped in by Rogers down the right hand side, and he is maybe 12 yards out, just right hand side of the box. And you expected him to try and uh, thread it across the goalkeeper. And Begovic gets down, makes the save. But yeah, I don't think I was ever really that confident that Isaiah Jones was going to score that one. But Chris, what did you make of the uh, of the start of the game? Yeah, it was poor, to be honest. It, it was. You can probably tell by the tone of Nathan's voice. <laughs> that pretty much sums up the performance in the first half and the performance as a whole, really. Uh, yeah, look, Nathan, it, it wasn't good, was it? Um, as you say, quite ironic in the fact that we had that really good chance um, Latty Laff had a half decent chance as well in the first half. Perhaps not as good as Jones's chance. Uh, I think from our angle, I, I felt that Jones probably should have just tried to clip it over Begovic. He, he made himself big, but he was quite sort of quickly, you know, trying to go down and, and gather the ball. Um, and basically, Jones didn't really get his head up in time, and uh, as you say, tries to. I think probably go under him, but instead Begovic just makes himself big enough to smother the ball in the end. And then it gets cleared. And yeah, look, it it wasn't good. I, I can't sugarcoat it. Um, I didn't really understand the sort of roles that the fullbacks were playing. Um, I think obviously last season anyone that watched us and, and took a keen eye in terms of how we played when we had possession of the football. It was always Smith tucks in, forms the three, Giles bombs on. Now, yes, Lucas Engel hasn't set the world alight, but he hasn't really sort of been given the chance to play in the way in which we thought that he would we saw from clips and, and scouting reports and, and different pieces of media that Engel, you know, for a left-back, he's got a real solid goal record and the same goes for his assist record as well. 
So the fact that he is now being deployed in a much deeper role and, and seemingly also a much narrow, narrower role doesn't really make much sense to me. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why we look so, it might come across too harsh, but pathetic in attack. We don't... We yeah. don't... I completely, I completely agree with you, Chris. It's it's strange that uh, you've signed a left back who offers you a lot going forward. It seems, and of course, it it fits into the sort of the McGree chat. I'm not necessarily McGree's biggest fan, but when you have a player that was influential in the way that you played last season, where he'd come inside, invert, and let you fall back, get beyond, and bomb on. And now you want to change things up and play with direct wingers. I think that is the only way that I can look at what we're doing currently, the persistence of Sammy Silvera in this Middlesbrough side. And, of course, he's a direct winger. So what you want is him getting out his fullback and putting a ball in the box. He doesn't get out his fullback. And when he does deliver a ball, it's usually wayward are never on the money at this moment in time. And for me, you can't continue to persist with a player that has now has a month of the season, a month of continuous starts, and has failed to deliver time and time again. And I know that I'm I'm sort of getting ahead of myself a little bit, but when subs were made on 55 minutes to change the game, the fact that Silvera was the one that stays on the pitch rather than your other two attacking midfielders, who both struggled in the game as well. Rogers struggled 100%. Every time he got the ball in that number 10 position, you want your number 10 to get the ball on the half turn and get at defences and... His touch never never changed the angle, ever. It had always taken back where he came from and the centre-back would be right behind him and just nick the ball off him straight away, push him off the ball and QPR would regain possession. Isaiah Jones struggled, again, playing off that left-hand side, a right footer playing off the left-hand side. Yeah, he... He's a different type of winger than Silvera. He doesn't necessarily want to be one that cuts in and gets shots off. He wants to get to the byline and cross balls in. And you you can't necessarily do that if you're going to play on the opposite side to your comfortable foot. But yeah, with, with, with Engel, we haven't seen what you can do yet. And it's making him look like a really poor player. And on Saturday, as I've just mentioned there, he was a five out of ten. I, I've I've seen um, various different websites that that give player ratings, and Lucas Engel's in the team of the week. I I just it just goes to show that stats mean absolutely nothing, really, because if they don't pass the eye test, it doesn't mean anything. Because he he was really poor on Saturday, as were the full team. And it takes you right onto the goal where, okay, it's an absolute rocket from Dizel. He picks the ball up on the edge of the box and launches it in the top corner with his left foot past Dieng. Dieng, once again, we're a month into the season now. We've conceded something like 10 goals. And I can't remember one being his fault because we can continue to concede goals that are just freakish. But the fact that you have three players around Dizel and none of them want to go and engage with him once again. It's pretty much Swift's goal from last week, apart from Dizel just gets his shot off instead of trying to run through the team. But Housen, Hackney and Rogers in this instance do not want to engage with him. And OK, you might be thinking, oh, what's he going to do? Well, he's rifled the ball in the top corner and we're 1-0 down against a team that wants to sit in and... You've struggled to break them down anyway. They're now 1-0 up. 
and you're chasing the game at home once again. For every game so far this season, Middlesbrough have gone down in every single game so far. And that is something that needs to change very, very quickly because at this moment in time, we're a side that doesn't score goals. And that is a far cry from last season. But three league goals so far this season is is, is truly shocking. And yeah, uh, I've enjoyed my little rant there, but it, it needed to be said. Yeah, no, I I agree. I agree. Um, I think in cer- there's obviously circumstances uh, that are a, a fact here, I think. You mentioned Riley McGree. I think anyone that listened to a few podcasts ago when we were speaking about his omission prior to the, the West Brom game, I was the person that was singing his praises probably more than anyone really basically saying that. For the way that Michael Carrick wants to play, I think he's one of the best players in our squad. And for me, yes, there's obviously been a slight change in tactics in terms of he's persisted with Silvera and because of Silvera's I guess willingness to sort of be more direct and, and maybe come in field sort of in a different way what McGree does he McGree picks up pockets in a more central sort of position and you know, might then play it back out of the fullback. Silvera wants to get inside and probably play a one-two and then get a shot off. You know, he's uh, a little bit more direct than Riley McGree, and he, look, he, he doesn't have the the football intelligence of Riley McGree in terms of picking up those pockets and allowing others to to move around him and just having that someone to to pick a pass to thread the eye of the needle and. Look, McGree probably doesn't do that as much as what he should, but if there's anyone in our squad that can do that, then it's certainly him for me. And for whatever reason at the moment, Michael Carrick just doesn't want to select him to start matches. And look, I'm Michael Carrick's biggest fan. Anyone that wants him sacked, and it's a tiny, tiny minority, so it's a ridiculous conversation to even have. But I think people that are wanting Michael Carrick out are now placing some of the decisions that he's making at him. And I I, I do, not that I want him sacked, but I do kind of agree that somewhat of the way that this season's going is starting to become down to Carrick. He's left Riley McGree on the bench again after making a great impact against Bolton. Yes, it's League One opposition, but as a player, what more can you do? If you start on the bench and come on and make an impact, then surely that should put you in a better position to start the game. You look at Isaiah Jones, yes, okay, come on against West Brom and, and look bright, uh, did okay against Bolton, but then he's rewarded with a start. Now, what's the difference there between him and Riley McGree? Now, I'm not sure about that. And also, you know, it, it fits in with tactics as well. You look at Engel, and I think that the tactics aren't helping him at all. We've obviously added Bangura, who seemingly, from scout reports and obviously clips as well, he seems to be a little bit more attacking in terms of he was a originally a winger that's since been moved back and, and probably is a, a bit more dynamic in that sense, um, a little bit quicker as well. So I, I guess when he's eventually introduced into the into the team, we may see Riley McGree come back in and obviously that space created down the left flank then becomes available for Bangura. But I don't know, I just there seems to have been this shift to have our full backs more inverted and it hasn't benefited us at all. Um I think again Morgan Rogers has been brought up and you know I don't think as a podcast we sort of delve too much into stats but one that might you know change a few opinions if it's thrown out there is I think Morgan Rogers is actually third in terms of big chances created in the league and yes don't get me wrong 
Saturday wasn't his game. As you said, he kept on just having the ball taken off him, doing the exact same thing, trying to uh, receive it on the back foot and turn, and he was just getting tackled every time. And look, it wasn't... Let's say it for what it is. He didn't have a good game, but neither did a lot of people. But I have seen... I've seen signs from Rodgers and that he could play that role. There is there is somewhat of a player in there in terms of chance creation and beating a man. But yeah, I still look at him and I think he's never really typically played in that 10 role. Uh, obviously, where he probably had his most success was Lincoln. And I, I believe in that system, he was playing off the uh, either side of a striker uh, as a winger which I feel like when I watch him, his attributes are getting at people and managing to beat people, finding a cross or a pass and allowing him to create chances that way rather than sticking him really centrally and sort of him receiving the ball on his back foot a lot of the time. He, he seems to struggle with that at times. So I, I don't know. Look, that... Judging from the team lineups we've seen so far, Morgan Rogers is obviously viewed as a number ten. I just personally think that his attributes would probably suit him better playing off either flank. But yeah, there's there's so many little sort of intricacies in the way that we play, which are just all coming together and basically making us not good enough in an attacking sense. But also, we seem dreadful in terms of a defensive structure as well um, and yeah that goes back to my point earlier about the addition of O'Brien obviously he comes off the bench in this game but could we see a slightly altered um, formation where he goes in alongside Housen and Hackney and, and that sort of takes away from the need to have a, a Rodgers playing in that 10 role where Hackney and O'Brien could support the wingers and the striker Maybe he's arrived a little bit later in the box. We saw Hackney do that towards the back end of last season. So that's certainly something that he could do. And then we could also have Riley McGree inverting. We could have Marcus Force playing off the right or Rogers. You know, I, I don't think we're short of options in that sense. There's an awful lot of experiment to do, to do rather. But certainly the, the way that we seem to be going at it at the moment well, the proofs in the pudding were sit bottom of the league in the first international break of the season. It's not working and something has to change because we now aren't a side that can just outscore teams. No, we're not. And yeah, uh, again, second half comes at the weekend and, and we had chances in that second half, breaking three on one and Jones misplaces the pass to Silvera. Um, no pace on the ball. Dizel gets over and makes pretty much a goal-saving challenge. Um, Latte Lath has a, an effort in the second half. Uh, Silvera actually provides some penetration uh, going forward, plays the ball into Latte Lath, who then just lays it off for him. Silvera tries to make a dart into the box, gets pushed off the ball, but it breaks free. Latilath takes his touch, gets his shot off, side-footed. But I think a combination between Begovic and the defender saves QPR there. But, yeah, the uh, the killer blow comes through, uh, through Colback, who, yeah, Borough struggling down that left hand sorry down the right hand side of for for QPR and the left hand side for us I think it was a uh, Paul Smith marked by three players sort of ricochets through a number of bodies drives into the box fires the ball across goal I think they either hit the post no I think I think it is a deflection in this deflection. case deflection okay. um and it, it, it's deflected out to Colback, who just hammers it goalward straight in the back of the net. 2-0, game done. And, yeah, you could you could see, based on the crowd at 75 minutes, what their true thoughts were. There was an empty 
south stand pretty much on 75 minutes. Um, the ground was emptying. And, yeah, Borough's start to the season has been an absolute car crash, I think it's fair to say. Um, yeah. I think when you're looking at the, at the start of the season and you have so much sort of hope going at the start of the season. You think think back to that Sheffield Wednesday, Southampton game on the on the Friday night, and you think, oh my God, the Borough are back tomorrow. Here we go. Fresh start. And uh, yeah, first international break of the season. Two weeks off now of, of watching Middlesbrough. And uh, yeah, it, it's almost good riddance because one point on the board in the first few league games is is it's not good really. Uh Borough sit bottom of the championship table. As uh we'll reach the middle of September, um minus eight goal difference, which is a, a, a truly horrendous sight, really. Um but yeah, I think we've all we've all got to still have a little bit of faith. And uh, back the boys in two weeks' time at Blackburn. Yeah, look, it, it wasn't a good performance. It certainly will be a, a game which I'll try and forget as soon as I possibly can. I think, to be honest, we're recording this now on on Tuesday, and I've already let it go. To be honest, because look, it's it's a a young team. It's a lot of unproven players in this division. But in the same sense, it is also a club which last season got extremely close to being one game away from having a chance to get promoted into the Premier League. Now, I understand the finance aspect of it, but I also look at it from a club that has one of the most expensive season tickets in the league and a way following which is incredible. They never, ever let the club down constantly there in numbers and I think look we, we've got to have some sort of standards almost where we can't just continue to write this off as well it's a young team and it's it's unproven and it's got to have time to gel I understand that but the standards can't just fall below the wayside and we basically just say well that's that season done then we will try and stay up let's hope for mid-table and we'll try and build on that I just don't think that's going to cut it to be honest it certainly won't for me and look it's quite a I guess a reflection of sort of where and how Middlesbrough fans are feeling at the moment that actually something that should be, you know, really enjoyable for us recording this podcast is <laughs> it's it's felt like a chore at times today. I'm not gonna lie, Nathan. Um <laughs> but look, I think the international break, as you say, has has come at a really, really good time. I think I hope that two weeks on the training pitches is going to benefit this group an untold amount. And look, we've got a, a lot of players away on international duty and obviously they'll get some games, but we've got the bulk of the squad that is currently at Rockcliffe. We've saw earlier today um, a group that includes Matt Clark. So I guess that's one positive, Nathan, after his injury layoff. Um, but they have the chance now to get some real good work on the training pitches and hopefully either work on a new system, work on some new tactics, integrate the new players as well, which is obviously important, and really find a way where basically we're, we're going to be able to go into games and not just sort of accept the worst, really, because we said in the last podcast, QPR would be a fantastic opportunity after... Okay, yes, they turned it around a little bit, but albeit not a hugely impressive start of the championship season. We said the same against Huddersfield. You know, these aren't teams where they are universally feared by the rest of the division. Uh, the, the, I can't even get my words out, Nathan. The division. Um, 
But yeah, we're yet to play the Leicesters of this league, the Southamptons of this league, which obviously comes quite quickly after the international break as well. Um, but yeah, we are the team sitting bottom of the league and something has got to change. So, Nathan, with that being said, is there anything else that sort of you want to discuss or you think needs uh, addressing or anything like that? No, I don't, I don't really think so. I think that we've uh, we've had our good little rant there. I think it was needed. It felt like a little bit of a therapy session towards the back it, end of the podcast. It did, and uh, really, as a as a football fan, you, you're hoping that your shrink session isn't coming one month into the season, but here we are. So, um, yeah, feel uh, a little bit better getting that weight off my shoulders, Chris, discussing with you what I, what we believe are the problems of of this Middlesbrough side so far this season, what will hopefully change in the coming weeks. Of course, we've seen that the boys are working hard in the heat today. Um, let's hope that they continue that for the next two weeks. And... Yeah, we'll be uh, back in two weeks' time to discuss what will hopefully be a good performance, something a little bit more refreshing, something a little bit more what we've been used to from last season in the form of an away performance away at Blackburn Rovers on the first game back after the international break because then the games come thick and fast. It's, of course, Blackburn on the Saturday and then we're back to the Tuesday nights, Sheffield Wednesday in the relegation six-pointer this early on in the season, Chris. <laughs> Southampton, Bradford in the Cup, Watford. And uh, yeah, the games are coming thick and fast. Five games in two weeks is a very hectic schedule, but we'll be there uh, giving our uh, our view, putting our tuppence in of, of what's going on. But, but yeah, yeah. Um, Quite a, a strange podcast because, of course, we don't want to sit here and 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 put a downer on things by discussing defeat after defeat. I'm sure that people that are listening to this don't want to listen to us talking about defeat after defeat. But, yeah, let's all just hope that we're all pulling in the right direction and Borough will get three points soon enough. Yeah. Yeah, let's keep our fingers crossed. There is one topic that I just wanted to briefly mention that we sort of didn't cover in the rating of the transfer window. I guess one sort of experiment in this new borough that, that didn't end up working out was Martin Vieira. He's obviously departed. Um, just some final thoughts on him, Nathan, because I know especially on this podcast and for those that may have listened to our early, early podcasts, Whilst Neil Warnock was still in charge of the club, we were adamant that this was going to be a, a love story of Middlesbrough falling for a South American footballer again, someone with flair, creativity and a spark. And yet, he gave us one moment of brilliance at Cardiff away, but apart from that, struggled to ever really get a chance and also struggled with injuries and now that experiment is officially done and he's permanently left the club to join Udinese, Nathan. Yeah, I think in this instance, it's an experiment that goes wrong. You pay quite a big fee for a player that I think Borough fans, unfortunately, as well as the uh, recruitment team, have, have sort of been sold up the river with this one. Um Played a handful of games under Neil Warnock. Not even sure that Warnock wanted anything to do with him when he came to the club. Um, was shipped out by Chris Wilder. Um, and yeah, look, it hasn't worked out. You just got to sort of cut your losses and... Just, just move on, I suppose. We'll probably see him crop up at Watford in a year's time on loan with uh, their sort of links with, with Udinese and how they dodge FFP. Um, but, yeah, um, just, just one of them moves that hasn't worked out. The hope is that in the 12 signings that we've got through the door 
in the summer that uh, more of those are successful than uh, than Martin Piero. Yeah, yeah, it really is a shame, obviously, with all the hype that was built up around him. And to be honest, Nathan, what I will say is I still will die on the hill that he never really got a fair sort of run of games. I know a lot of people have just decided that he was a crocked player that was not very good. But from flashes that we saw, um, I still think there's a player in there somewhere and hopefully he can produce it at Udinese, uh, even if it's not to our benefit. But yes, uh, I just did want to cover that, obviously, since it was probably... Um, I guess one of the big talking points in terms of an outgoing perspective in the final days of the transfer window. But yes, I think that wraps us up there, Nathan. Obviously, somewhat of a downbeat podcast, but it's a given when you're sat bottom of the league, I suppose. Um, but yeah, as Nathan says, we'll be back after the international break um, in what's going to be a very hectic, hectic uh, period of games. Obviously, this is a podcast that we usually upload or try to upload on a Monday for obviously various reasons, uh, holidays, graduations, things like that, stuff that's really been out of out of anyone's control. It certainly hasn't been anyone's fault. There's been a few times we've uploaded late, but hopefully we can get back a little bit more into a rhythm of consistently being up on a Monday night. Um, and obviously, I, I guess that gives a, a quicker reaction to the weekend's events. And it's, uh, yeah, it should be interesting obviously all the games coming up but uh, yeah Nathan I think that's us done and uh, just a massive thank you for anyone that has um, got to the end of this podcast because I I can imagine it's been somewhat of a slog but yes we'll uh, see you again next time thank you ever so much for watching and listening to this week's Brockless podcast and hopefully we will see you soon with a more upbeat podcast (laughs) 